Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather here today at camp meeting to study your word. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to be in our meeting today. Yes. We pray that you'll put your hand upon Elder Fenneman. We pray that you'll put your hand upon us, that we will be receptive, that we will learn to see our Lord more as in the scriptures as we study him, and especially in these prophetic books. Yes. And Father, we pray that you'll give us the experience that's been promised from the study of these books, that we might proclaim your message in these last days and be ready, ready very soon to go home with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Alrighty, we're moving now into more directly into um, uh, chapter 5, and uh, we're going to talk about what Belshazzar knew, and we're going to see glimpses of Christ also in this chapter. <clears throat> now, he's pictured as judge, um, that's one of, the, one of the aspects, but before we get into that, I want to uh, do a little bit of review, and I'm going to... Uh, talk here about the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar that we, I didn't have this on the, oh, I had it yesterday, but we ran out of time. And um, there was a process of, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was impressed, chapter one, with the uh, dietary habits of the Jewish, uh, these four young people, uh, their health, the principles of diet, and the education. He was, he was impressed. This made a tremendous impression on him. Then in chapter two, he was convinced of the superior principles by which they operated, and uh, uh, they had insights, uh, especially Daniel, and uh, also the character. This was all uh, all part of his uh, pro the process of conversion. And then in verse uh, chapter three, he was convicted by God's power to deliver his own people, and of, of which were the Jewish people, when they were throwing it, you know, thrown into the um, fiery furnace and that type of thing. And, uh, and then in uh, chapter 4, he was finally converted, and it was the same power that protected the Jewish people in chapter 3 that converted him from the inside out and uh, made him a converted man. And it, it appears that the rest of his life, which was not very long, uh, he, um, I believe he'll be in heaven. He remained converted during that time. And then this is a testimony that all of us uh, can, uh, can relate to. Um, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is one of the, uh, the, one of the main things that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn. Because he thought he was the one. Is not this great Babylon which I have built? And uh, it was when he, then he lost his mind uh, shortly after, well, about a year later. Now, you and I have testimonies also. And your testimony will, teach, will touch someone's heart. And it doesn't matter whether you raised as a Seventh-day Adventist or if you became an Adventist. It doesn't matter. The testimony that a, person, that, that, ha that a person has, God will use to affect someone else. Uh, maybe a question I could ask. Which is a greater testimony to the power of God, a person who has been raised as a Christian and specifically a Seventh-day Adventist and has never gone off the track, or someone who comes out of the gutter? Are you sure? They're both. Huh? Both. both? Okay. Yeah. Yes. And they're both kinds that are needed in the church. But I, I contend that a person who has never gone astray is a demonstration of a greater power of God in their lives than one who was in the, in the gutter. In the gutter, you know you have a need. In the church, there's a danger 
because I've been a good person all my life, um, there's, a, there's a danger of thinking that uh, I am inherently good. And this is, the, but, but uh, further than that, Daniel and, um, what was the other one? Um, Daniel, Joseph. These are the two outstanding examples in scriptures of righteousness by faith. They never went, they never went astray, as far as, we can, as far as we can tell. And uh, so I, it, it seems to me that that is a greater testimony than one who is down and out um, with uh, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be, uh, because there's, uh, there's built-in guilt and that type of thing, and, they, and people start crying out. Yes? Okay, there'll be another. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. The power of God. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Now I would say that uh, today, because of sin in the world, and people are sinners. We're all we're all sinners, whether we're, we've been raised a, as a church uh, believer or non-believer. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. There's no one is left out from that standpoint. Um, but we need both testimonies in the church. We need the, we need the testimony of a fourth and fifth generation Adventist <laughs> who has loved the Lord and has never, has never gone astray. And we need the testimony of someone who has gone astray <clears throat> and that both of them should come together not to exalt the individual but to glorify God. And, and that's the purpose of testimony. And uh, <clears throat> So we need, we need both uh, in that. And, and we have, I think in, in Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel, we see both of them. Daniel, as far as we know, he never went astray. Do you think he was ever tempted? Absolutely. <laughs> Horrendously. <laughs> but he knew how to say no by the grace of God. And uh, then you have Nebuchadnezzar. And you have, so you have two testimonies, and they, they're side by side in the book of Daniel. And, uh, and that's the way it is in, in experience. But, but we need to remember that uh, you and I have testimonies that will touch the lives of someone else. Uh, it will contribute to someone else's conversion, and that's the purpose of, uh, of our testimonies. And this is, this is from uh, Minister of Healing, page 461. Everyone may be able, through his own experience, to set his seal to this that God is true. Uh, he can bear witness to that which he himself has seen and heard and felt of the power of Christ. He can testify, I needed help. And I found it in Jesus. Every want was supplied. The hunger of my soul was satisfied. The Bible is to me a revelation of Christ. I believe in Jesus because he is to me a divine savior. I believe the Bible because I have found it to be the voice of God to my soul. And that, that's the kind of testimony that, uh, that will win hearts. There's no doubt about it. Now, <clears throat> coming back now to um, Nebuchadnezzar. Under his uh, leadership, the glory of uh, Babylon had dominated the entire world, or the known world, I should say, uh, the civilized world from India to Egypt. He was in c complete control of that whole, that whole section. And, um, and this happened for, it lasted for nearly a century. So maybe uh, 40 or 50 years even after he died, it was still, it was still going. Uh, and if, I would say even in the time of Belshazzar, um, which he was the grandson of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it was still the leading uh, nation in the world. And, uh, <clears throat> but it, at its height is when it, uh, when it crumbled. And it crumbled from within. Had, uh, Belshazzar and his people, uh, even uh, 
moved to the influence of the Holy Spirit, Babylon would not have fallen. But because they crumbled from within, uh, <clears throat> they, were, they were removed. But they had a, <clears throat> a well-organized educational system. Now, the Jewish one was better, and God demonstrated that his principles in Judaism was better than the Babylonian. But they were interested in arts and sciences and things like this, uh, architectural um, uh, development, uh, such as the Hanging Gardens. We looked at this as a picture of this uh, earlier uh, that became one of the um, uh, wonders of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But Babylon was a tremendously beautiful city. Uh, its walls were, I think, yeah, 350 feet high, 87 feet uh, wide. Uh, chariot races uh, were conducted on top of the walls. <laughs> and there was two sets of walls. Uh, and they had a moat. Uh, it was impossible for Babylon to be destroyed. <laughs> and uh, as far from a human standpoint, they had uh, 100 uh, gates of burnished bronze. And you know, and this, these are the bronze that on each side of the river Euphrates, on inside the inside the walls, and they should have been locked, because uh, uh, they, they should have been in case an enemy somehow could get in. An enemy couldn't get in, but <laughs> but uh, um, but it, but he did. God had predicted 150 years before that those gates would be open, and that the Medes and Persians would come in. And I've, I've got a, another study, I, was, I wanted to bring it in, but I, uh, we're going to run out of time again on this one, but maybe just briefly, Cyrus, um, Cyrus was named by God, told Isaiah, Cyrus is my anointed one, he's going to def defeat Babylon. And this was 150 years before, and that's in chapter 44, the last part of 44 of Isaiah, chapter 45 tells of the... Um, um, the gates being open and that type of thing. When Cyrus left his capital, he had to go north before he could go west and south. And uh, you know, maybe let let me let me do this. Let me <laughs> uh, shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. Um, let me see. I think I've got it here. Yeah, yeah two two rumors. Um, when uh, uh, let me see here. Here we go. Um, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, Daniel 5. Um, what the prophet Jeremiah had to say, there would be an invader from the north, now who came actually from the east, and they came north and then came down that corridor uh, between the rivers, or on one side of the river, uh, Tigris, or uh, Euphrates. And uh, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 51 especially, 50 and 51, talks about the overthrow of Babylon. And uh, he said the kings, be the kings of the Medes, that's in chapter 51. And then, uh, in fact, I think we'll turn there. Uh, he said Babylon would be caught in a snare, a military maneuver that would take them by surprise. Um, her fall would be connected with her water defenses. And uh, they had enough water, the Euphrates, uh, they wouldn't have run out of water. And they had enough uh, food supply to last for 20 years. So it was impossible for any nation to capture the city. And they, they said that Cyrus, when he did get there, he became discouraged because they, there was no way. They, could, they tried, to, tried to capture it. They couldn't do it. And he almost got discouraged. But then he got to thinking what the, something they did a year before. As they headed north out of his capital, they went up into the mountains. And there was a, a waterway. And... Um, 
let me see if I can. Uh, um, oh, again, the, the Babylonians would be drinking and feasting and that sort of thing. And he knew that a, that a religious holiday was coming up that would be drinking and feasting. He, and that was the day that they struck. But something happened before that. Um, let's see. Yeah, there was utter content, uh, contempt uh, on, for them. Uh, the god of uh, Tammuz was the one they were celebrating. And uh, we read yesterday a little bit, and we'll talk about that a little later. The Babylonian idol idolatry, uh, the belly was filled with passion and, and, uh, uh, and that sort of thing. And this is Belshazzar's hour of uh, judgment. Um, now, he was condemned not because of his ignorance, but because of what he knew and turned away from. Um, and I'll come back to that in the other one, but I want to uh, I want to go back here or down here a ways. Uh, yeah, this is oh yeah the um, the oh my the um, huh. let me see I'm coming now to it, but let's see I had this the. The Cyrus cylinder, that is a secular um, record of, um, of the fall of Babylon. I think this is it here, yeah, the cylinder. The Cyrus cylinder um, gave the defeat of the Babylonian from a historical standpoint. And um, written by a priest of the Babylonian sun god Marduk. And uh, the great theme of the cylinder inscription is that Cyrus is the chosen of Marduk and that Merodach or Marduk was given him, had given him the, the empire of Babylon. That's what they believe. This is the, Marduk was the god of light uh, armed with thunderbol thunderbolts and things like that. He's the one that got the credit from the Persian standpoint. But judgment on Babylon, there were two calls to God's people to prepare to leave Babylon. And let's take a look at that. Uh, uh, this is in Jeremiah. Now, as, as I mentioned, as they, were, as they were heading north, as his armies were heading north, they came to this river, and uh, it was called the Gindis or Jindis. And uh, as they came, one of his uh, sacred white horses fell into the river and drowned. And it made Cyrus absolutely furious. And he said, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to drain this river so that a woman can walk across it without getting her skirts wet. <laughs> so they spent a year, nearly a year, and they had, I think, 180 channels coming out of that, uh, from that river. And they, drowned, they, they drained it, and then they, they went across, and then uh, uh, north, and then east, and then down. And, but notice what, what uh, Jeremiah has to say about that in chapter 51. Um, let me see. Okay, no, that's not it yet. Does someone have it? Yeah, I was thinking that's from the mist of uh, Babylon. Uh, no, that's not. Yeah, uh, well, in no, you know, if we if we drop down to thirty-six. Uh, God says, I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. And this is talking about Babylon. Uh, but here, 45. He says, my people go out of the midst of her. 
And then verse 46, he said, unless your heart faint, you hear for the rumor that the, what will be heard in the land, a rumor will come one year, and then after that, in another year, a rumor will come. And the rumor was that Cyrus was on his way to deliver the, the children of Israel. When they got to the river Ginti, Gindes, or Gintes, G-Y-N-D-E-S, uh, when that horse drowned, they spent almost a year dividing the, the river. But when, they, when Cyrus and his army left his capital, the Jews heard a rumor that he was heading for Babylon. It stopped for a year. A year later, they heard the rumor again. He's on his way again. So there were two rumors that Babylon is going to fall. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The application of that in Revelation. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's kind of the background. Now, uh, where I got this was from a... Uh, you probably, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Greek historian uh, by the name of Herodotus. Uh, he was the first known uh, historian, and he wrote much about the Babylons and Babylonians and the, and the Medes and Persians. Uh, he's known as the father of history, and uh, he was the first historian to collect his uh, material systematically, uh, dealing with the accuracy to a certain extent, and arranged them in a well-constructed and vivid narrative. He wrote this. Cyrus, on his way to Babylon, came to the banks of the Gindes, and uh, this is the this is the the, the river that uh, that he's talking about. And um, they they went they were getting north. There was the river. They finally, uh, after a year, they started on their journey again south. This is a modern day picture of the river, and. Um, uh, it was it was flood time when when uh, Cyrus made it uh, came there, and here's a picture of him <laughs> sitting on the back of a water buffalo going downstream. But this looks like it, it muddy water, so it probably was this is probably uh, flood time. And uh, so here's a picture of Cyrus overlooking the plain. It says when when he reached this stream, which could only be passed in boats, one of the sacred white horses accompanying his march, full of spirit and high mettle, walked into the water tried to cross by himself, but the current seized him, swept him along with it, and drowned him in its depths. Cyrus, in, enraged at the insolence of the river, threatened so to break its strength that in the future even women should cross it easily without uh, wetting their knees. Accordingly, he put off uh, for a time his attack on Babylon, and dividing his army into two parts, he marked out by ropes 180 trenches on each side of the Jindis. Uh, leading off from it in all directions and setting his army to dig, some on one side of the river, some on the other. He accomplished his threat by the aid of so great a number of hands, but not without losing thereby the whole summer season, having, however, thus weakened his, uh, wreaked his vengeance on the Gindis, or Gindis by dispersing it through three 160 channels. No, it would be, be 300, wouldn't it? Yeah. With the first approach of the ensuing spring, marched forward against Babylon. So he headed down and uh, uh, came to Babylon. And he, they came to Babylon first, and they attempted some, how, somehow to capture the city. It was impossible. And he almost gave up in discouragement because of the fortifications of, the, of, of Babylon. But he got to thinking what they had done the year before. <laughs> and that's the reason they dug a, a huge pond off to the right of the river Euphrates. Then he stationed men 
uh, he, some of his army, um, his army was on this side of the city, the walls, and there were the other part of his army was on the southern part. And so as they, <clears throat> at the given time, they broke, broke the ground from the river Euphrates into this huge pit, and the water was diverted. And as it reached Babylon, it began to lower, and when it got low enough, the army marched in under the walls. And when it got to the other side of the river, or the other side of the wall, uh, as it went down, those soldiers marched in under the southern part, and they came together. Now they still should not, they should not have taken Babylon. If those bronze-leaved doors had been closed, they could not, they'd have to fight from there, it would have been impossible. But those were left open. And then I've read where uh, there were, uh, some of the army men were drunk also, but some were sober and they were absolutely terrified. And they ran from different sections to run, they to, run to the king and say, we're being, we're being uh, invaded. But it was too late. They were already in, they were like uh, <laughs> uh, caterpillars. <laughs> they were just going all over the place. But Jeremiah gives us the two rumors. And that, uh, we, if we have time, <laughs> we'll look at Revelation also um, uh, in that. But uh, the, here's where they were marching under the, under, the, um, under the walls after the river had been dried up. It's amazing. God said it would be captured. He told them exactly how it would cap be captured. And, uh, it, and it was. While they were having a, a good time, supposedly, these men were coming in. They came up through those gates and uh, completely um, destroyed the Well, they didn't destroy the city, but Belshazzar died that night. He was executed. Yes? Were they too drunk to notice that the water level was dropping in that river? They sh there should have been sentinels along the side. They either weren't there or they were drunk. Yeah. God, or God, God could have blocked their mind on it too, yeah. He said it was going to be, and it was. It was, regardless of how it was, whether they were drunk or, or sober, uh, that's exactly how it happened. All righty, well, that was a little bit of a sidetrack, but uh, um, I thought you might be interested in that. Um, I'm curious about Revelation. How about it? Okay, uh, well, let's go. Let's go to Revelation uh, 14, verse 8. Well, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, Pardon me? Yeah. But it was because they had rejected. It wasn't that God tried to catch them off guard. Um, he, uh, he gave the, the Millerite movement the message. And, uh, but we need to remember that Miller was a converted man. His emphasis was on verse 6. Uh, yeah, verses 6 and 7 uh, about the investigative judgment. And um, that was primarily his primary message. And he, he uh, said it would happen in 1844, that Christ would return. By the way, have you ever heard, have you ever been accused as a Seventh-day Adventist that, oh, you Adventists, you missed the mark in 1844. You, you, you're, you, uh, you prophesied that Christ was coming. Don't believe it for a minute. There was no Seventh-day Adventist in 1844. It was a Baptist. <laughs> the Baptists made the mistake. Adventism came out of the disappointment, but they were not a part of that. I mean, there were individuals that were part of that movement, there were, but there were no Seventh-day Adventists. So uh, we were not involved whatsoever in the, in the miscalculation. <laughs> it was the Seventh-day Adventists that restudied it, or I mean, they became, they weren't even Seventh-day Adventists at the time, 
they restudied the prophecies and they came up with a sanctuary model of uh, being the sanctuary being cleansed in heaven. But the first thing that, that came out in this message, verse, um, verse 16, that uh, Pastor, uh, um, last night, thank you, yeah. <laughs> he talked about the first message was uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That comes first. When that message was re uh, rejected and the investigative judgment was rejected, then there was a fall in Protestantism, and that's what, that's what we have in verse, uh, verse 8. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city which she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, the papacy had already been fallen. It fell in, uh, politically in 1798. And she, was in a, she began to fall probably by 538. When, when the papacy rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, she began to fall. And by the time 538, she needed power. There's no church that exists without power. If we do not have the power of God, we have to depend on the power of self or the power of government, which is the greatest force in the world today. And so she was joined to a government for her uh, to carry out her, her activities. And so this, she was already fallen by this time. By 1798, I believe that was the, the time when probation closed for the papacy. Now that does not mean that there, no Catholics will be, uh, will be saved. I believe there are more, more believers in the Catholic Church today than there are even in Adventism. There, there are many honest, uh, honest hearts. But the system itself is broken. It's fallen. Even though it's going to appear that it's the greatest power on earth. Uh, we will see that, but, and I believe some of us are going to see that in our own time. We see it gradually coming back. But this verse is de dealing primarily with Protestantism. When they rejected the gospel and the investigative judgment in 1844, uh, that was the first time that, uh, that the Protestant denominations were uh, said that you were fallen. And they, they did it in chapter 17. They said, you have the harlot, but she had daughters. And it must be Protestantism. And so that's how they came to that conclusion. And if you read the great controversy about this, there were, there were uh, people within uh, Protestant denominations who said something has happened. Uh, the, the spiritual life of Protestantism uh, is no longer here. It was, it was in a downward uh, trend. Uh, this would be in the 1850s and 1860s. And we can see today what's happened. We're seeing the end of the fall right now. And this year may be, uh, may be the capstone when the, the Pope is going to be celebrating uh, uh, the Reformation Day of all things. It just it, it boggles your mind. <laughs> to, uh, someone, was, was, someone was talking about Elder Holmes uh, was uh, speaking yesterday, the day before. He's pastoring a church in, uh, where he pastored, first of all, as a Protestant, as a Lutheran in the northern, northern Michigan. Pardon me? Bessemer. Bessemer, is that where it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when he was pastoring, it was a 600-member church. Today, it's less than 100, 60-some or something. Did, were you the one to tell me about this? Or? No. I can't remember who it was. But um, he, t he asked the, the presiding pastor of the Lutheran church uh, what they were going to do with uh, celebrating. They usually celebrated each year the Reformation, Re Reformation Sunday. And... Um, the guy just kind of looked at him. He said, well, the priest and I are going to get together. <laughs> and this is what's happened. You know, it's, uh, they have no understanding 
of what what they really where they came from. It's it's unfortunate, but uh, it, but anyhow, that's that's part of it. Anyhow, now coming back to so 1844, 43, and 40, 44, uh, when uh, Protestantism became Babylon, fallen, and. Uh, and this is, we're talking about, again, systems, not individuals, except as individuals imbibe the, the teachings of uh, Babylon. Then if we go to chapter 18, and uh, verse 1 says, uh, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with its glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. This is the second time. The first one is chapter 14, verse 8, and this is the complete fall. Um, has become a habitation of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. This is a picture of spiritualism that has entered Protestantism. And then, and then talks about verse 3, that all nations have drunk of the wine of the Babylons, same as uh, before. And then verse 4, he says, I heard another voice. From heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and you receive of her plagues. So we're in the time of the second call. The second rumor is out. Uh, and it's for God's people. Get ready. The Lord is coming. He's, he's coming out of the east and the north. The north and the east. He will, tra he will transfer from the north to the east. And we will see him coming uh, in the east. As the Jewish people saw or heard Nebuchadnezzar uh, Cyrus coming from the north and from the east. And uh, I, one uh, verse 4 there, I was um, listening to a friend of mine who was holding some evangelistic meetings, and there was a dear Catholic nun sat through all of them, including the Mark of the Beast. She never moved uh, until he started, he read this, uh, this verse, Come out of her, my people. She was reading from the Catholic Bible. And it reads, and it's a, it's a valid translation, but it says, go out of her, my people. <laughs> and when she read that, she said, that must be me. <laughs> and so that caused her to leave. She became a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> yeah, so, but it, it wasn't from his preaching, but it was from the Word of God that spoke to her heart. It says, go out of her, my people. <laughs> and it can be translated that way, either come out or go out. And uh, so uh, anyhow, that, so much for that. Uh, but that is the, that's the application of what we see from Jeremiah and the, the destruction of Jerusalem by, uh, or not Jerusalem, but Babylon by Cyrus. Yes. You know, I was just looking at the text while we were in Jeremiah. It says, we would have healed Babylon. Yes. But she is not healed. Yes. Do you have a comment on that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. If, if Belshazzar had repented, and we'll look at a little bit of little, his testimony. Uh, Daniel said, you knew all this. He knew from the testimony of or he he would have he would, may not have known Daniel personally, but we need to remember he was raised in the palace of his granddad, and his father was the king, so he would have known what happened to well Daniel told him he gave a list of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, and he said you knew all this, and he knew it from hearing the stories. He would have understood about Daniel. He, he forgot about him, evidently, but he knew he was a godly man. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. I believe there came a time when he, he wavered between uh, righteousness and evil, and he chose the evil. And uh, when, he, when, they, uh, when they're drinking, his, his probation closed when they took the vessels of the house of God and put intoxicating liquor in it. 
In fact, there's uh, the tra translation that says, as they were drinking, and the idea is under the influence of the wine. They had been drinking for, uh, part, for quite a while. It had, this, this, they just didn't decide to, to get these uh, vessels and, and start drinking out of them in the beginning. It was after they were drinking a while. Then he said, let's bring those vessels in and we'll fill them up. And, and they were actually defying the God of heaven. I believe he was defying the conscience um, that his gods were greater than the God of, uh, of Israel. And, uh, and that's when the walls came tumbling down. Yes? Yes. That was his grandmother. Yes. Mm -hmm. Would that have been a wife to Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She would have been the, the queen mother. Yeah. And uh, she knew. And as soon as as soon as the uh, uh, she knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar, because but uh, <clears throat> and Daniel revealed what was going on, and she had no idea that it was Judgment Day now, because she said, "Well, there's a man in in the kingdom um, that your father, and it means grandfather or ancestor." Uh, this, uh, listen to, he has the Spirit of God in him, and he will help you. <laughs> and so he was called in, and, and, uh, and before, like chapter 4, we saw that uh, Daniel was actually frightened when he saw the vision uh, and would begin to interpret it. He didn't even want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what was going on, because he loved Nebuchadnezzar, and he knew what was going to happen to him. <laughs> and then Nebuchadnezzar encouraged him, said, tell me what it is. <laughs> so he did, and that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But when we come to uh, Belshazzar, he didn't pull any punches. He just opened up. He's this is what you saw. This is what it means. Uh, <clears throat> judgment has come, and you're lost. You know, in essence, is what he was saying. And uh, so, yeah, that was this. Uh, but uh, Belshazzar knew somewhere along the line, but his eyes had been closed, and he got to the place where he could not repent. He was in a drunken stupor that he brought on himself, and it was impossible for him to come out of it. This was the execution of the judgment. Yes, yeah. And the question is, who was the, who was the, um, who was the judge? Oh, this to put the twenty-year supply of food, water supply, the Euphrates. It was as secure as the unsinkable Titanic. <laughs> one of the one of the builders of the Titanic said, "This this boat, this ship is built so solidly that even God cannot sink it." So this is part of the reason that thing went down. <laughs> they were defying God to even meddle with their, their little toy. And, but it went down. <laughs> Babylon could not fall. Impossible. But it fell. <clears throat> the, uh, both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar were puffed up with pride. I think I've got a picture here that, um, a little bit later. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar submitted to God and he was justified. Belshazzar refused and he was judged, uh, condemned in judgment. Um, God gave his summary condemnation of the conceited character of the Babylonian. He is puffed up. Uh, this is from a Bible commentary. Um, he is puffed up like a bloated toad. These arrogant people hopped along toward destruction. And he's commenting on Habakkuk 2.4. And uh, this is the picture that I found that I thought illustrates this. <laughs> they were... The Jewish people had become bloated as that toad and, and as the uh, uh, Babylonians were. And uh, here, this, the Hebrew word apal is used only here in the Old Testament. That's in Habakkuk 2.4. Uh, with evil passions. Their desires were not upright. And uh, 
The same principles of puffed up and humility will be contrasted when spiritual Babylon falls. And with, <clears throat> uh, chapter 18, 1 through 4. Uh, this, and it, in Habakkuk 2, 4, it's talking about uh, he's puffed up or he's lifted up in his pride. And then it says, but the just shall live by faith. So you have the contrast between the experience of, ba- the experience of Babylon and the experience of God's people. God's people had chosen to go along with the Babylonian puffed up pride. And so that's what he was, uh, Habakkuk was talking to them about at that time. Pride versus justification by faith, and that's you know, we find that in the third angel's message. Um, humility and faith go together. Pardon me. Humility and faith. Yes, go yes. Yeah. I would say you cannot have true humility unless you have faith. Yeah. Yeah. Yahweh or Christ the Lord then declared that a righteous person, by stark contrast, will live by faith. Now we come to Christ in this chapter five of uh, uh, again of Daniel. Christ is judged because, number one, he's the creator. Secondly, he's judged because he's the redeemer. Thirdly, he's the judge because he is the lawgiver. And number four, you remember this from John 5, he is judge who executes judgment because he is the son of man. He had to become a human being in order to become our judge. He had to know what we go through so that all of his, uh, that we would know that he is honest and just and good and righteous. And so uh, he was the one that, uh, that uh, judged um, Belshazzar and, and Babylon. Now, Jesus is not only the judge, or not only judge, he is also the one who was judged. The judge took our place. Didn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. And so here we have uh, the crucifixion of Christ, And uh, he was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Tremendous passage. And then it gets even worse. Galatians 3, 10. Jesus was made to be a curse. He was cursed in order that you and I could be blessed with justification by faith. And he did this for um, Belshazzar as well as uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But Belshazzar wouldn't refuse it. Now, Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He was considered and treated as a sinner. That word numbered in Isaiah 53 is the same word. Now, this, or this, is, in the, this is Hebrew. The cognate of that is in chapter 5 of Daniel where it says that you are numbered. <laughs> So there's a, there's a relationship between the two, Hebrew and, uh, and Aramaic. And because Daniel, the chapter 2 of, of Daniel, beginning was about the fourth verse, the half part of it through chapter 7 is written in Aramaic. And um, the rest of it is in Hebrew, but in, in uh, uh, Isaiah was written in Hebrew. And Isaiah 43 calls God's people to be numbered as a judgment. The what? Be numbered in the judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the um, Jesus was first mentioned as being numbered with the transgressors in verse twelve. Let's go to Isaiah fifty-three because I think this is the main point of uh, even of uh, Daniel, Daniel five. But did, did who did Dan, who did Jesus die for? Was it only for the believer? Did he die for Belshazzar? Huh? Yes. He's the savior of the world. Now, not everyone accepts him. Um, 
uh, as a Savior. But in verse, uh, well, I've got, got the verse there in 53, but I want to look at the other ones. Uh, in um, well, in 12 and 13, well, 12, he says, um, because he has poured out his soul unto death, he is numbered with the transgressors. The, again, that word numbered is the same word in the Aramaic in, uh, in Daniel chapter 5. It's a cognate. It's, a, it's pronounced almost the same. It's written almost the same. And the, the Aramaic was the commercial and uh, political language of the day, Babylonian. Remember when, when in chapter 2 of Daniel, when the wise men answered uh, the king, they answered him in Aramaic <laughs> because it was a sophisticated language at the time. And uh, so Daniel simply wrote in Aramaic uh, the rest of the, from chapter 2 through 14, uh, I mean chapter 2 through uh, chapter 7, and then he goes back to Hebrew. Uh, first chapter is in Hebrew, the rest of, from chapter 8 on is written in Hebrew also. But anyhow, so here he was numbered. And then if we go back to uh, verses 5 through 8, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And then it's, and verse 9, he made his bed with the, with the uh, rich so what we have here, th these verses that we just read, that's part of Christ being numbered with the transgressors. He was looked at from heaven's standpoint and from man's standpoint as the greatest sinner that ever lived. That's how people viewed him. The law, the law of God condemned him. And uh, he exhausted the penalty that belongs to the human race. But he, he took it all upon himself and... Uh, he identified with, uh, with us who were in need of salvation. He, everything that he went through, was he went through for us. He was totally innocent, yet he was considered as the greatest transgressor. Um, he was charged with humanity's sins. He bore and exhausted the penalty that was against us. Now, when he died, he, he did not die the first death, now, unless you include that in the second death. But he died the equivalent of the second death. He exhausted that, that penalty for the human race. And uh, uh, <clears throat> um, the, uh, and here from Desire of Ages, I believe this is about uh, page 25, Christ was treated as we deserved, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness, in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes, we are healed. This is the numbering of Christ as a transgressor in our behalf. Now we come back to Belshazzar. Now Belshazzar teaches uh, in chapter 5, Belshazzar is, is a type of Christ. Now, that may be pretty hard to grasp, but 
but Christ took the part of Belshazzar, the lost sinner, at the end of the millennium. Christ stood before the judgment of heaven as Belshazzar stood before the wall. And as Belshazzar trembled, his knees were knocking, his joints were loose, Jesus went through that kind of experience in Gethsemane. He was Belshazzar. He was you, he was me, in Gethsemane on through Calvary. And that's the gospel according to Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar threw a ball. That's when in chapter 5, verse 1, they began drinking. They were influenced by alcohol. The alcohol drove him to become exceedingly bold and take the, the um, vessels of the house of the Lord. And so then, the, and this is the gall that they, that they did this sort of thing. I think we used, looked at this the other day. Then you have the wall, the handwriting on the wall. Today you were measured and found wanting or lacking. And then the fall, chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. Uh, this day the judgment has come, the, the, the city was, was to fall. And all the time these people were drinking and didn't have the foggiest idea of what was going on with the, with the other people coming in to capture them. They had no idea that was their last day on earth. And Belshazzar, that's when the, he, was, he was absolutely terrified. He talks, it's quite a description of him, how he, he was absolutely in full terror. He knew, he knew something uh, drastic was about to happen. He didn't know what it was, but the Spirit of God had impressed him. This was after he had already committed uh, the unpardonable sin. He, there was no longer a chance for him to be saved. This is going to be very similar to what will happen at the close of probation and of, both, of those who profess to believe Christ and they're going to wake up with the wrong God and the wrong side. And we need to be on the right side by God's grace. And we can be. We still have time. And we're, we're still during that time. But, but the, queen, the, queen came, or the queen mother came in and told him, you know, that's interesting. Uh, there is a man in your kingdom uh, in whom the spirit of uh, uh, the holy God and then when Daniel did come in, he said, uh, same problem here. I've heard uh, of you that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. And Daniel came right to the point. He says, but you, his son, Belshazzar, speaking about Nebuchadnezzar, and it would be his grandson, you have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. So this was knowledge that he, that he understood uh, somewhere, and he didn't have all the knowledge, I'm sure, but it was enough knowledge that he had that he knew that he was in the wrong uh, somewhere along the line. Belshazzar was condemned because he neglected the opportunities of, that were availed to him by making himself acquainted with the light that was shining in his pathway. And uh, I've got a statement here, I think I'm testimony is ministered a little bit. He refused to take advantage of the opportunities that God placed within his reach to enable him to become a believer. And this is from, uh, I believe this is testimonies of ministers. Our condemnation and the judgment will not result from the fact that we have lived in error, but from the fact that we have neglected heaven-sent opportunities for discovering truth. The means of becoming conversant with the truth and within, uh, is, are within the reach of all. But like the indulgent, selfish king, and she's referring to Belshazzar in the context, we give more attention to the things that charm the ear, please the eye, 
gratify the appetite than to the things that enrich the mind, the divine treasures of truth. And this is from Bible uh, Echo, Echo. I thought it was testimony, but it's the Bible Echo, uh, September 17, 1894. And <clears throat> Daniel told uh, Belshazzar, he said, The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. We need to remember that the cross of Christ is stamped on every morsel of food that we eat, every drop of water that we drink. Everything comes stamped with the cross of Christ. Not only to the believer, but to the non-believer. Everything owes, everyone owes everything to him. And this is, uh, uh, this is from Illinois. To the death of Christ we owe even this earthly life. The bread we eat is the purchase of his blood, broken body. The water we drink is brought by his spilled blood. Never once, saint or sinner, eats his daily food, but he is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. The cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. The Zarbage is 660. So everything that happens to anyone in the world, it's because of the cross of Christ. Every, every breath that a person breathes is uh, because of Christ. So, Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. And he repeated it again. Um, Mene, Mene, and then uh, uh, to KL, I believe is how it's pronounced. You're weighed in the balances and found wanting. And this is the word that uh, Mene is the word that's used, numbered, both in, in uh, Isaiah and here in Daniel. And uh, they're, they're identical in, in meaning. And referred to Christ in Isaiah 53 and uh, to Belshazzar here. This was Belshazzar, king of Babylon, upon whom the end of the world came. This was the last day of his life. The hour of his judgment had come. Now, God had wrought out salvation for Belshazzar, and he had given it to him. But he spurned it and threw it away. He wanted nothing to do with it. Before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be revealed the fact that full and complete salvation was given to Belshazzar and that he deliberately threw it away. Again, Belshazzar's mouth will be stopped. Again, he will shake with a nameless terror with bated breath as he listens again to the words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. He will see them again. It will be in his mind. At the end of the millennium, God does not stand with a finger pointing at each one. This is a sin that you committed, you committed, that sort of thing. But everyone will have a vision of the cross. They'll know exact, exactly, precisely where they turned away from, uh, from Christ. And at the end of that time, every person, will, the saved and the lost, will bow down and admit that Christ was right. Now, some will do it because of overwhelming evidence and the, the testimony within the brain, the, the, rec the records that are being investigated in the heavenly sanctuary are simply a reflection of what's in our brain. Our brain has stored everything we've ever done, especially if it's gone into long-term mem memory. And uh, so the cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven is, is cleansing the record, but God wants to cleanse it here. He wants to cleanse it from our brains here, where it's recorded. And, uh, Can I ask you a question? I don't yeah. want to Judgment was for the dead. 
Yes. And she says soon, none know how soon it would go to the living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where does that work with our probation? I mean, if we are, if we don't know when our name comes up before judgment, right. where does that fit with our probation closing? Well, mean, well, I mean, will our probation close when our name comes up? Not necessarily. No, I think it's all up to date. Yeah, every, yeah. Uh, for instance, if we die, our probation is closed, you know. Uh, before, uh, before there's a general uh, closing of probation. And, um, and before that uh, takes place, God will have cleansed his people. Um, and, the, and the cleansing is a process. It's not, it's not a magic uh, thing. God, through the trials and tribulations, through the word of God, says we purify our hearts through the word. Well, what did she mean by that? Well, <clears throat> by the time probation closes, it will be in the living. Okay. All the dead, I'm sure, to this very day, all of them have been judged. Uh, God doesn't have to go over the record. Uh, this, uh, how, how long has it been since 1844? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'd say within a few years. Christ could have come by 1860, and so the judgment would have been finished. And I'm, I'm sure that the record of the dead was already accomplished. God doesn't need, uh, doesn't need a century, doesn't need a year. But, uh, but it's, still, it's still continuing. He's doing it in mercy. But it will enter into the lives of the, of the living. And that's where we're, I'm sure we're going to see uh, tremendous uh, movements both for Christ and against him. Uh, and I think part of the shaking within, uh, within not just Advent is going to be shaken, every... Every person on the earth is going to be shaken. But specifically, we're, we're told that it will happen to us when we see millions of people depart from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I believe we're going to have an indication that the judgment has entered into the living. Because people have made a decision and uh, say, I don't want any part of that. It's safer, it's safer to be with the multitudes. Yes. Good. Yes. And that happens after probation. I mean, the decisions have already been made. Well, the, the harvesting is right. It's us determining our destiny, not God saying, sorry, too late, you're out. Yes. Okay. Yes. He's lingering. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> now, would you think that the world is already ripe for the coming of Christ? No. The world. Okay, all right, yeah. That, that, that's how yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Everybody's given opportunity. What? Everybody's given opportunity to accept Christ. Yes, so, yeah, everyone, yeah. Yes. When we look at the, the story of the man who had a vineyard and went out and hired workers in the morning, mm -hmm. and went out and hired more workers in the afternoon, and went out and hired more workers in the evening, and he paid them all the same. Yes. We see a picture that God will be fair. Mm -hmm. Across the board, whether you know, in the 1800s or whether you came in in the last closing. Yes, yeah. He yeah. will be fair. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But there may be some who have been in it a little longer and are going to be angry. 
<laughs> because they get the same wage. <laughs> but it's simply the gift of eternal life. That's what it's dealing with, yeah. And, uh, and, and she, Ellen White speaks about people who have never had the opportunity to learn uh, what, what, what we, we're in the, the blessing to have. And they will learn some of it in a very short period of time. But there's much of it they're not going to learn. And they'll learn, they'll learn in heaven at the feet of Jesus. But if they're living up to the light that, that uh, they have, they're, they're safe. Yes. And he dealt he he dealt with that you say there yeah, yeah he okay did. he did and he had yeah. great references yeah okay yeah yes no I just had a, a question on uh, that won't doesn't this the probation can close on some and they're still living but they don't know the probation is closed for them because yeah. during the time of Jacob's yes. trouble I think it is yes. we're told that the thing that's going to be is. We may be safe, but we don't know, and we're trying to find out, is there right. anything that we have done? Yes, be? even after probation closes, yes. yes. L- let me uh, maybe follow up on that. I, I was, an experience I had, um, I was driving by a, um, a mobile home park. The Lord impressed me strongly to go into that place, and I did. And I went to a trailer, there were three people there, <clears throat> they were all drunk. One was an Indian lady, a young girl, probably maybe 20 in her 30s, an old man, 80, and another man somewhere 30s or 40s. And they were all drunker than lords. And I tried to talk to them about God, and they just laughed and poked fun and a little cursing. And I said, ah, I'm not going to stick around this. So, but before I left, I said, I said, would it be all right if I had a word of prayer? <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all right. I knelt down and started praying, and I heard weeping. And I looked up, all of them were crying. God had reached through that alcohol and spoke to their hearts. And when I got up, when I got up on my knees and left, or before I left, I gave them, I think I gave them steps to Christ or something. I don't remember what it was. And uh, that old man says, my father was a Methodist minister. And he said, so I understand these things. And please come back and see us. I said, okay, I will. And some time went by. And I was driving by that place again. The Lord impressed me to go see them. So I went to the uh, house that they had been in, and they weren't there. But the Indian lady was up on a hill by a house up there, and she says, we're up here. Please come up and see us. So, so I went up and started talking. The, the two guys, she was sober. The two guys, and a very um, hospital lady. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, she was a, a wonderful uh, lady. These two men were drunker than lords again. The old man was lying on the bed. <clears throat> and uh, laughing, you know, about uh, Christianity and all this nonsense of following the Lord. And then the other young guy was on the other side of the road watching a football game or something. And he was, you know, in between the football spurts, he was saying something smart. And so I would go from the old man to the young one, back and forth, back and forth, pleading with them to give their lives to Christ. Oh, <laughs> And, and there was, I couldn't do any more. It was just, I did everything that I possibly could think of. And I left. And as I left, the girl, she just apologized. She said, I'm so sorry the way they treated you. I said, oh, that's understandable. It wasn't, wasn't treating me. And so <clears throat> the next day, 
I came out, I, lived, I was living by a river, and, and as I was coming out on this one road, there's a T, you had to, and I usually turn to the right and go into town, and, and you, I could see to the left, about a half a mile, there were a lot of cars lined up on a curve that um, I knew that a, an irrigation channel uh, went, went that direction. And I said, I wonder what's going on up there. So I tro turned to the left and went up there. And I, <clears throat> I pulled up and I said, what's going on? And the guy that told, he said, well, he said, a pickup truck went into the water. There are two men in it. I knew who they were I, before I saw them. I knew that those two men were in that car or that truck. And sure enough, they pulled them out and they were dead. And their probation had closed the day before. I'm sure of that, or at least by that time. And, but, but God, I know that God had his hand in this thing, trying to save them right up to the last moment. Had they not been drunk, they might not have even gone in the drink. You know. But because of the influence of alcohol, they lost their lives eternally. And uh, so it's, this, is, this is, again, when probation closes for different people at different times. And especially when we, when we die, there's no, there's no need for probation. But, uh, but anyhow, that kind of came on, on what, what you said. That, uh, um, but the Lord uses it different ways. We don't even know sometimes what we're doing. He puts us into situations that we, that we, we can look back and see, ah, God was leading that. You don't think, if you're being ridiculed and cursed, <laughs> you don't think God is leading in this specifically. But, but even these things, uh, it happens. <clears throat> so again with Belshazzar how's our time got 10 minutes he'll remember the handwriting on the wall yes you had a reference for a bible I thought and I was wondering what that was it was uh, yeah, let's see is it back here close uh, it was a uh, published sometimes it'll have uh, yes okay you got it there yeah it, it was uh it was a paper, I think, um, uh, was, uh, you sometimes will say Signs of the Times and Bible Echo. You have it? Yeah, okay. You got it now? Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. His memories will awaken at the, at the end of the millennium. And he will remember the handwriting on the wall in the, his palace, he will remember the history of his grandfather, and he will see his grandfather. But Nebuchadnezzar is going to be on the inside of the wall. He's going to be on the outside. Whatever sins Belshazzar committed, if he would have repented and believed, his guilt would have been washed away in the blood of Christ. But he rejected the work of the Holy Spirit. And he placed himself where repentance and faith could not come to him. This is because of the influence of the alcohol. Now, I'm, uh, we mentioned the other day that there, there are times when God can work through alcohol and drugs. He does it on a regular basis, I would say. But <clears throat> there are some cases when, when a person is deliberately uh, turned against God in such a way that they've made their last decision, then God can only, he can only uh, go with their decision. Um, it, it's... Um, it's a frightful thing sometimes we think about it, but, that, but that's the way it is. When the Spirit of God was willfully and persistently rejected, this, this could not have happened over just that one night. This had been, he had been persistently refusing the Spirit of God. 
And uh, that was <clears throat> his last nine. That's the only way that God can communicate with us is the, the frontal lobes, primarily. And uh, Belshazzar cut that communication off. And there was no more that God could do. God could not force him. And uh, he'd given him every opportunity up until that point in time. And he just, uh, you know, God did not blind the eyes, the spiritual eyes of Belshazzar. He did not harden his heart, but this happened in the process of sin. He sent light to correct his errors, and that would have led him into uh, uh, true paths. And so when, <clears throat> when light from God is rejected, the eyes are blinded and the heart becomes hard. Often the process is gradual and almost imperceptible, but God still tries to get through uh, to us and to every person in the world. And it's not, it's not how much light we have, but what are we doing with the light we have? That's the, that's the case, because you have people that, that have, uh, I think, well, maybe I will. I have a son that died a little over a year ago. He's in his 50s. Tried to work with him through the, he was an alcoholic, died of alcohol. And <clears throat> I, I tried to work with him from time to time. We saw each other about once or twice a year. And um, my wife and I had a meeting in Las Vegas in, I think it was in March. Usually this meeting is in either January or February. This year it was in uh, March. And I couldn't, I told Shirley, I said, I, I don't understand why, the, you know, why it's been moved. We got out there and I called my son. I said, I want to meet you. I'll come to your home. At the meetings here, I want to come over and see. He says, okay. And uh, uh, he said, I'll be in late Friday night and uh, we can be together over the weekend. And I said, okay, I'll see you Sabbath. I said, we'll be going to church on Sabbath and I'd like to invite you to come. And he just kind of laughed and, and so I didn't push it. I said, well, we'll see you in the afternoon. That was on Thursday, I think it was. His wife called me on Friday and said he's in a hospital north of San Diego. And it doesn't look good. So we beat a path down there on Friday. When I looked at him in the hospital, it looked like death warmed over. <clears throat> his stomach was bloated. And his kidneys were gone. His liver, everything was gone. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I didn't have an opportunity to talk to him about the Lord. And I thought, well, well we heard one doctor. He said, well, I'll give you six months. Or I'll, get, yeah, I'll give you six months, and uh, that's all you've got. So I thought, well, we may have to go home, and I'll come back as soon as he's out of the hospital and, and talk to him. Maybe take some charcoal poultices and things, <clears throat> try to heal him. But So another doctor came in, and he was really pointed. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I'm giving you 30 days to live, prepare to die. And uh, it shocked everybody. And then he turned, the doctor turned to me and said, I'm so sorry that I had to bring you this kind of news. And I said, thank you for being forthright. When he left, that gave me an opportunity to zero in on what I, what I wanted to do anyhow. And I said, Blake, I've been praying for you over 50 years that you'll give your life to Christ. I said, would you like to do it? And I said, you don't have much time left. Would you like to give your life to Christ now? And he said, yes, but I don't know how. And I said, you follow me, I'll pray, and you follow me step by step. And so he did. He mouthed the words that I, that I said, he repeated them. And when he got through, there was a half smile on his face that I hadn't seen in a long time. 
I was so overwhelmed that I had, there was a couch on by the windows and I just sat back there and Shirley came and she'd been in the hall before this. She came and she started talking to him and the Spirit of God came upon us. It was powerful. I just, I knew he was there. Well, we still thought he had some time left. So we decided to come home, go home uh, here to Michigan and then we'd fly back and see them after he got out. We no sooner got back and his wife called and said he died. So we beat a path back there again to be with the family. We went out for dinner one night and I shared with him what had happened. Now he had a son that was probably the most spiritual of anyone. His eyes just got big. Oh, he said, I'm so glad that happened. And then his wife told me something that gave me assurance that God was working on his heart. He said he called us all to his bedside before he died, apologized to us for the things that he had done to us. And he said, I want to pray for you. He prayed for them before he died. Just so I have hope of seeing him in heaven. If that was, and I believe it was honest, uh, his whole life was troubled. Um, and uh, alcohol was his solace. He could not, or he didn't, he was afraid to find it in Christ. His, his wife and his mother and I split up when I became an Adventist. She couldn't, she couldn't handle the change in my life. And uh, he had always blamed her. She left me, and, and he blamed her for that. But, um, but it, it wasn't really her. She just she could not stand uh, to see a different kind of a person. And I was, I was totally different. But um, anyhow, I'm hoping that she will be in heaven too. She's dead too now. But uh, my daughter, she's uh, she is very faithful to God. She's I prayed for her for 20 years. <laughs> so if you have children, don't stop praying. Isaiah 50. Uh, he said, in fact, let's, let's turn there, 49, uh, where uh, I've claimed this not every day, but many, many times. You know, I, I did not intend to share that with you folks, but it seemed to fit in. Yes, it may, it may be. Uh, Isaiah 49, uh, 24 and 25. And uh, I saw this better than 50 years ago when I became an Adventist. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? Now, who's the mighty? That's the devil. Or the captives of the righteous be delivered. But this says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prayer of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. And I'd go to God with that prayer praying it, and I said, God, you have promised it. Um, I made some terrible, terrible mistakes in my life. But I said, you have promised this. I believe that you're going to save my children. And I believe that he, that he's in the process of my daughter. So I want to be there. Amen. I want each of you to be there. <laughs> and uh, we don't have to be Belshazzar. We can be Nebuchadnezzar's. <laughs> so shall we pray? We probably better stop that. Father, we thank you for the gospel that we see even in the life of Belshazzar, the, the condemnation at the end of the millennium. But Jesus took the full force of that. He exhausted that penalty for us and for Belshazzar. Belshazzar will look upon Christ and he will weep, not because of conviction of sin, but because of the, um, his greed and what he wanted and he's lost it forever. But we pray that each one of us will be on the right side of the wall 
and that we will see Jesus and give him praise and honor and glory forever and forever. We thank you for him. Amen. 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 This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.